There are no sermon notes, no outlines, so if you aren't already turned to Hebrews 12, I would encourage you to go ahead and do that. We'll be reading through uh, a few sections at a time there. And uh, Jennifer was right to just read through 13, because that's what we're going to be focusing on here uh, today, is Hebrews 12, 1 through 13 especially. So keep your thumbs there as we get into it. We've got a lot to cover in a little bit of time, so we're going to skip the memory verse I uh, hope that you're working on that. Remember, it's Hebrews 4, 4 through 16, if you want to keep up with the memory verse. Um, next week, we'll be finishing up that whole section um, of memory verses we've been working on, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Let's go ahead and pray before we get into the Word today. Lord God, it is Your Word to which we submit ourselves now asking that your spirit would fill those places in our hearts and in our minds, in our lives where we know we need you, so that we would leave this place changed, so that because of the transaction of your spirit working in our hearts and minds today, we would become a little more the people you created us to be. Lord, cultivate in our lives a place where you will continue to grow so that we would be shaped and formed and molded by you and not by the many things that compete with your lordship in our lives, so that we would increasingly be dependent upon you alone. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I think, I think that my story growing up uh, probably isn't much different than yours. The names and the dates and the places may be different, but I think I learned something early on that like many of us on the face of it seems to serve us well, but if we don't grow past this thing in our lives, it is something that can short-circuit the work of God in our lives. That's something that we learn Early on, I'll just come right out and tell you at the beginning, that something that we learn early on is an unrestrained protection of self. If you're not taking notes because we have no sermon outlines today, feel free to write that on the bulletin. That's a good one to note there. The thing that we learn early on in our lives is an unrestrained protection of ourselves. As a kid, early on I learned this because... My goal as a kid became to avoid loneliness and relational pain. Plus, they called me Dumbo on the playground. So my ear stuck out a little bit, and from early on, I was trying to uh, undo the fact that I had big ears. So uh, don't go there, anybody. I will make you pay. Uh, we, We moved a lot as a kid. We moved a lot as a kid, and I think because of that transient environment in my life, moving around a lot, I coped by by overachievement and by this, this ceaseless, competitive jockeying. By the time I graduated from high school, I had been in eight different schools, lived in seven different houses in five different states, and went to five different churches. I know that some of you... Um, 
have childhood transience rates that are much higher than mine. So you, you know what I mean. At one of those elementary schools that I went to, I remember being one of about a dozen white kids in a huge school of about a thousand elementary kids where the minorities were the majority. And so for me, early on, I, I learned that coping meant becoming adaptable. I knew that if I did not, if I did not assert myself, no one would like me. That's what I thought. So I made darn well sure that I fit in everywhere. It didn't matter the circumstance. It didn't matter the people. I made darn well sure that I fit in wherever I needed to. In the arenas of academics and sports and social circles and, and church, anywhere where we are measured, I made darn well sure that I was going to beat you out to the top. And I would let you know about it. Nicely. In Jesus kinds of terms, of course. <laughs> For me as a kid, I remember, I remember learning later on that games were about fun. And that was a revelation to me as a 20-something. I'm thinking, games are just meant to be enjoyed. For me, as a kid, I remember that games were exhilarating chances to assert my superiority over you. We did this book reading competition once, and I remember I was in third grade, and the second place person walked up proudly and, and said something about getting 20-something books, and I just, I just sat there thinking, <laughs> that's so weak. <laughs> now you can all go ahead and say, I knew he was a jerk. <clears throat> because I knew what went on the scorecard and how people succeeded, I became a kind of a social chameleon. I became militantly protective of my place. All because I did not want to experience the pain of loneliness and of short-term relationships. But what I eventually learned through God's discipline, and that's what we're going to talk about today here in Hebrews, what I learned through God's discipline and the wisdom of my forebears in the faith is that my life's energies were lived out of a place of self-controlled protection that was more about me and my not getting hurt than it was about God or Him receiving glory in my life. My life's energies were certainly not about growth in godliness, but growth in self-righteous goodness, so that I could pacify and insulate myself from pain and from hurt. We've all done that. We've all experienced that. Every single one of us have lived a life of putting up walls, of having defenses, of militantly protecting those places that we do not want to get hurt. The problem with all of this, the problem of protecting and insulating ourselves is this. We short-circuit the discipline of God that He can use to shape us. We short-circuit God's way of shaping us and maturing us for the long haul. And for the larger, more important purposes of not beating out kids in book reading competitions, but of His glory. Instead, instead of remaining open and humble in the journey of life, we do everything we can to avoid 
pain. Because pain hurts. It's not fun. So we learn. We learn to structure our lives to achieve a certain level of comfort, to avoid hard things. Instead of, instead of humbly accepting God's mechanism for our growth, we choose self-controlled comfort. Which means that as believers, we learn to live in fear instead of step out in faith. And that's the lesson of the Hebrews here. It's a lot like, it's a lot like parenting. At just the moment when your hand is raised to spank, I'm sure you've heard your kids say something like, well, it's plainly obvious you don't love me because you wouldn't be hurting me like this. Have you ever heard yourself say something like that to God? You see, we mistake his discipline as, as punitive and harmful rather than accepting it as formative and helpful. In fact, in this passage, we learn that that very kind of testing, though it hurts, though it's hard, can be used by God for his benefit and for our benefit. And it shows, in fact, as Hebrews says, it says, that means you're his child. Let me ask you this. What if we Christians humbly accepted the challenge of God's discipline so that our lives would be steady and sure in a world of brokenness and pain? What if we demonstrated endurance instead of shrinking back in fear? You see, running the race means submitting to God's process for our growth instead of self-controlled comfort. Running the race means submitting to God's process for our growth and for our benefit instead of a self-controlled comfort. Let's jump in. Verses 1 through 4. They say this. Therefore, this is verse 1 in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In effect, the preacher here in Hebrews is saying, I know that you are meeting resistance. I know you're getting shot at from all sides. I know that life is hard sometimes. But just remember, don't forget how much enemy fire Jesus drew on his way to victory. And so take heart. Verse 3 talks about the hostility that congregation is encountering, and yet it doesn't result in that kind of bloodshed that Jesus experienced. Verse 4 talks about that hostility that he encountered, of course, being something that we will never be asked to do, but we might. You and I aren't asked to be martyrs, but we might. You don't have to look around very long to know that persecution is coming in this country. 
by the time many of us die, it will be much harder to stand up and say, I follow Jesus Christ as Lord. So are you prepared for that? Samuel Shoemaker was instrumental in the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he was once asked why he went through the kind of suffering he went through as he ministered to people. He was once asked why he poured his life and his ministry into, into the dregs of society, into the, the wretched of New York City. Shoemaker's health was failing. He was dying and his sense of the city's need was overwhelming and discouraging to him. So his friends said, why don't you just run away from it all? And before you are broken by this inhuman burden that you've placed on yourself, why don't you just take, take a break? Shoemaker said something we would all stand to say sometimes in our life when the burdens are hard, when the suffering is real. He said, I would like to run away from it all, but a strange man on the cross won't let me. Friends, it's a good... It's a good thing that Jesus' reply to his father's call for him to suffer wasn't to stay comfortable. It's a good thing his reply was, I, I can't stay this course. It's too hard. The weight of sin is too grave for me to take. What Hebrews is saying is, I, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. But Jesus did this, and so can you. In fact, it's saying the pain that we experience in life, though we don't ask for it, don't, don't go for it more and more, we don't want to experience it, it can be a sign of good things to come, so keep it up. It's a sign, it says, that you are His children. Look at verses 5 through 11 here. We'll read these together. Verses 5 to 11. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Why do, why do good parents, including God, why do good parents discipline their children? The answer, of course, is that, that good parents exercise discipline because they're their children need to grow up to be like them in their values, in their commitments, in their ways of life. Parents want their children to grow up to be like them in what they know is good and right, and that their values and their ways of life and their commitment is like the parents. Christian parents discipline their kids 
so that they will grow in holiness. But, you know, we, we, we get it all backward. We get it backward and we parent so that they will be successful in the world's eyes. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of how we parent is about that kind of goal. Success in the world's eyes, being able, equipped, educated to achieve the vapid American dream of comfort and prosperity, a temporary goal. We parent to manipulate their behavior and to make them successful, but Christian parents discipline their children so that they will grow in holiness and in godliness. And as a parent, God is the same way with us. We are disciplined by Him so that we will grow up to be like Him, to love what He loves, to mature into His image, to share in His holiness. He is like a gardener for the whole cosmos, plowing and planting seeds, watering in all of the worlds that exist. And we only have a tiny plot of land and a little spade. But we are called to work our still small parcel in the same way that God works the great fields. The issue here for the Hebrews, as well as us, is the problem that their suffering and their pain posed a difficulty for their faith. They feel like, here I am, I'm attempting to do the Lord's will, and all I have to show for it is grief. They're fighting against an enemy who simply won't go away. They have suffered insult. They've suffered confiscation of their property. Even imprisonment in Hebrews 10, 32 to 34. They are fighting against this enemy that keeps coming at them, that will not go away, and they are beginning to lose heart. Doubt is beginning to compromise their commitment Doubts about God's justice and His providence and His care for them. What the author is trying to do here in Hebrews is to reassure them that the suffering in their lives is not the result of God's rejection of them or His abandonment of them, but it represents part of His effort to discipline the children He loves. That suffering is a negative means to the positive end of verses 10 and 11. Holiness and righteousness and peace as the goal. The great writer C.S. Lewis once wrote this. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. With that shout still ringing in their ears, the Hebrews are now learning one of the hardest lessons of the Christian life. That same God who is merciful and kind, who is patient, who is slow to anger, the giver of every good and perfect gift, also is a God who uses the circumstances of our lives, albeit painful, to chasten and to correct and to form and to shape and to mold us. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. The problem is that some of God's children simply will not accept it. They brood and they smolder 
They snarl and they seethe and they aim a stubborn fist at the sky going through life broken by bad breaks, forever demanding of God, why? Without the faith to hear his answer. The author of Hebrews has heard the answer. And he practically shouts it to the saints. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and of peace. Rather than resent their suffering, he invites the Hebrews to reap from it. to come out of the heart of their trouble with a joy that intimately knows the sufferings of Christ himself. For the believer, an intimate knowledge of the sufferings of Christ can become a joy, strangely, a joy that is more fresh and more fair than the unhurt, untroubled life will ever know. So don't resent your sufferings, painful though they may be, but learn to let God the Redeemer reap a harvest from them in your life. Perhaps Hebrews is saying, perhaps Hebrews is saying, we should stay with Christ a little while longer. Perhaps we should stay with Christ while he weans us from the world. That's a kind of godly discipline that is about soul-making. The shaping of a Christian with the hammer and the chisel of suffering. In the final analysis, why one suffers is not nearly as important as how one suffers. So are you telling me I'm supposed to enjoy this cancer? No. Are you telling me I'm supposed to enjoy that I'm out of a job and I don't have enough to provide for my family and we're struggling financially? No, no. But you don't need me to tell you that hard things will come. And when they do, the question is, will dealing with them bring you toward God or away from him? Look at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. At the beginning of this chapter, the preacher rouses the congregation with the exciting picture of a foot race. Banners are flying. The stadium is filled with spectators. The members of the congregation were urged to respond like trained athletes, stripping off weights, running like greyhounds toward the tape. But now, after wrestling again and again with pain and suffering and frustration in life, the preacher in Hebrews advances a little bit of a different image, the image of a Christian as a runner with a limp. Friends, that's, that's who we are. 
We're runners with limps. It's a race of endurance. It doesn't happen all at one time. The Christian life is lived in the small, still, mediocre, regular old, everyday ways in which we continue to endure, to be shaped and molded, to let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, to respond in faith instead of fear. Those kinds of things take a long, long time. Yesterday there was a 5K race. In many large cities there are huge marathons that involve thousands and thousands of runners. At the head of the pack in those marathons are the world-class marathoners. They're lean and speedy. They race through the course with a, an astonishing sort of swiftness. At the rear of this throng of thousands of people are the rest of us. The picture is quite different at the end of the field. That's where we find the ordinary runners. A few more years under the belt, perhaps a little extra weight over the belt. A lot more pausing to sip water to catch one's breath. There are even those contestants in those races who are on crutches and in wheelchairs, courageously out on the course nonetheless. Sometimes one of the runners near the back will grow weak of heart, faint with exhaustion. And when that happens, inevitably other runners will stop to help out, slowing their pace to help, because compassion is more important than competition in this marathon. Endurance is more important than sprinting. Pace is more important. The question for us is this. Are we content? Are we content to shrink back in fear to avoid God's discipline that leads to godliness? If we're content for that, that will short-circuit the work of God in our lives. It will inhibit our fitness for finishing the race. What, what would it look like if instead of shrinking back in fear of what people might say or what you think they're thinking or not having enough money or resources, what, what if in our lives we humbly accepted the challenge of God's discipline in our lives so that we became a steady and sure light of hope and of love and of grace and of peace in a world of brokenness? In a world that doesn't know what it's like to have freedom from sin. What if, what if we as a church did this? What if we as a church became filled with people humbly accepting God's discipline in our lives? What if the joy of godliness was the corporate goal of our assembly? What if the joy of godliness was the corporate goal of who we are and what we do? What if instead of so many Christians who are unable to talk about anything other than themselves and who can't help but complain and who are discouraging curmudgeons for those who are coming behind and those who are with us and those who are going to be coming behind us, 
a thousand reasons for all of us come to mind as to why we can't make it. What if we became a church and a body of believers who are people like that great cloud of witnesses cheering on others? What if you became like those listed in chapter 11 who lived by faith? What if you were a runner of the race whose spiritual fitness was a testimony to those who are not yet as fit as you? and our encouragement to others. What if, what if we became cheerleaders of other people's spiritual growth, even those who don't know Christ? What if we sat in the stands and shouted phrases to one another and to those who don't know Jesus? You can do it. You're getting closer. Don't give up now. Keep up the faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we are people 